Mr. Bowden's been unwavering in his denial of his guilt in this matter. The downfall of a former B.C. lion. Why one-time hometown hero Josh Bowden is facing a murder charge. Officers abused. You're a piece of man. You need to gain some experience. What Burnaby Mounties say about this vicious verbal assault shared on social media. And crackdown on monster homes. What the province is doing to preserve threatened farmland. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Murder charges have finally been laid in the 2009 death of a 33 year old woman in Burnaby. The accused, a former star athlete from the North Shore. Josh Bowden went on to play for the BC Lions. Grace Key has the details about his troubled life and reaction from the victim's family. Now, one step closer to justice. And it's complete to Josh Bowden. Ex-CFL player Joshua Bowden made his first appearance in Vancouver Provincial Court charged with second-degree murder. His arrest comes more than nine years after his former girlfriend, Kimberly Hallgarth, was found murdered inside her Burnaby home. Bowden's lawyer says his client maintains his innocence. Mr. Bowden's been unwavering in his denial uh, of his guilt in this matter, and he maintains that position today. Bowden briefly played for the BC Lions in 2007. Just seven months before Kimberly's death, the 33-year-old mother testified against Bowden in an assault case. He was cut from the Lions, but after his acquittal, he had a brief stint with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What exactly led to Bowden's arrest in the murder case after all these years is unclear. The integrated homicide investigation team only saying new evidence led to a break in the case. Evidence cannot be rushed. Every investigation has its unique characteristic, and it takes time to gather new information, new leads. At the end of his CFL career, Bowden had several run-ins with the law. He was convicted of sexual assault, obstruction of justice, and assaulting a police officer. When Bowden was released on bail, Vancouver police issued a rare public safety warning. Mr. Bowden poses a significant risk to the community's safety. In a statement, Kimberly's family writes, We strongly urge the accused, his family, friends and acquaintances who were or are aware of any details related to this incident and withheld any information from the police to come forward now and do the right thing. Bowden remains in custody until his next court appearance on December 10. Grace Key, Global News. A couple of major moves by the NDP government today on the environment, including the contentious debate over mansions and monster homes on agricultural reserve land. Our legislative reporter uh, Richard Zussman joins us now from Victoria with more on this. The NDP, Richard, are cutting the size of ALR homes. They are, Sophie, and they left us some reading material today, a few new bills, and one of those, the restrictions on mega homes. So it's basically an entire overhaul of the agriculture land reserve. And the big thing in there, restricting the size of homes on agriculture land to about 5,400 square feet. Right now, municipalities have the ability to control how big those homes can be. And in Richmond, some of those homes can be as big as 10,700 
100 square feet. So this legislation, if passed, would basically cut that in half. There are other changes proposed in those regulations as well. One of the controversial parts around the changes the previous government made to the ALR were creating zones. In this case, though, the government wants to bring it back to just one zone. So there are consistent ALR rules across the province. Also a ban on uh, dumping of contaminated soil on ALR land. Uh, Minister Lana Popham said that was a major problem. But the one thing everyone's talking about, and let's have a listen from the minister, is about those restrictions on mega homes. And every time you create something like a mega mansion on that land, what it ensures is that new and young farmers will never be able to farm that land. It also takes away from the capacity, if it's bigger than that, the capacity of that land base. And this would be common throughout the province. So there's obviously a benefit to that, to have one set of rules for the entire province. Also really important, Sophie, to mention the other pieces of legislation put forward today. One, a change to the environmental assessment process here in the province. It would give First Nations much greater say and more consultation time as well as more consultation time for the general public. And then also formalizing those amendments we heard about a few weeks ago on the speculation tax. So that legislation has been introduced, which would reduce the rate that those Canadians that live outside of BC that own homes here would have have to pay in terms of the speculation tax. So a very busy day here, mm -hmm. Sophie. Feels like crunch time, like they're trying to get everything in under the wire, Richard. Uh, considering that they still have crucial legislation to come, like ride sharing, for instance, what are the chances <laughs> everything will get done in time before the House breaks? Uh, Sophie, only 11 days of sitting left, and so what House uh, Leader Mike Farnworth has done is opened up what's called a second house. So basically they can debate two pieces of legislation at a time. Farnworth believes that will be essential to getting these pieces of legislation passed, but he wouldn't say for sure if the government can get that legislation passed around ride-sharing. We haven't even seen it yet, Sophie. We're expecting it at some point after the break week, which is next week, but we still couldn't have that passed by the end of November, which could make it challenging for the government to fulfill their commitment to have ride sharing here in BC by next September. So September 2019, it's one of those things where we'll just have to wait and see. There's been a lot of that, Richard. There's been a lot of that. <laughs> Thank you. So true. All right. Well, the new Vancouver City Council was sworn in this afternoon with the usual optimism and new faces. But as Tanya Beja reports, the new councillors must now face head-on the challenge of working together when no one party holds a majority. Vancouver's newly minted mayor begins his four years in office with a promise to the city and his council. I pledge here today to put respect at the centre of my approach, to inform residents and council members of my intentions, and to listen to your ideas before making decisions. Kennedy Stewart is the first independent mayor to lead Vancouver in over three decades and pledges to tackle the city's Achilles heel. The consequences of our housing crisis ripples out into every part of our civic fabric. It doesn't matter who you are or where in the city you go, the stress of unaffordability hangs over Vancouver, stifling our creativity, our energy, our promise of opportunity. Stewart riding to power on a platform that calls for 25,000 more units of social housing and non-profit rentals over the next decade. Uh, it just doesn't make mathematical sense. Where would they go? Who's paying for them? How fast can you build them? I, I don't see it, uh, but if he can do it, uh, that would be called a pretty much a miracle in my mind. 
That miracle only possible if Stewart can find common cause with the four parties represented on council. I listen with curiosity rather than antagonism, and I ex- expected that all the way through. Rebecca Bly. So far, councillors say they appreciate his collaboration. We didn't see that so much in previous councils uh, that I've been on, but this one has started off on the right foot. I can count on my hands just one time that I've ever been invited to meet with uh, our previous mayor, and it was because uh, I was in trouble. But on their inauguration, a show of unity from council. The question is how long it will last. Tanya Beja, Global News. And later tonight, the remarkable journey of one newly elected B.C. city councillor just six years after coming to Canada as a refugee, uh, as a refugee, Charmarquet Dubot is sworn in as a Victoria city councillor. And we've got his story for you later tonight. A troubling development for residents of a new Westminster apartment complex. Police are confirming a drug lab in their building. Really surprised because I thought this neighborhood is a good neighborhood. Police found the lab after investigating an explosion that led to the evacuation of the entire building. One man has been arrested and hazmat teams are now at work cleaning up the apartment and helping with the investigation. The residents are very lucky. I mean, this could have been much, much worse. Uh, Thankfully, nobody was injured as a result. The suspect faces a string of charges and investigators could be on scene until Tuesday. Well, regardless of what your drive was like today, be thankful you weren't caught in this mess. It began when a semi tipped over on 96th Street, just north of the South Fraser Perimeter Road in Delta, blocking the road. That forced traffic onto the only alternate route at the intersection of the highway and 80th Street. But on that detour, a truck promptly lost part of its load of heavy steel and backed up traffic along Highway 17 all the way back to the Alex Fraser Bridge. Police and drivers had to wait for cranes and heavy-duty tow trucks. And at this hour, traffic is still backed up along Highway 17 westbound for several kilometers. Burnaby RCMP are speaking out tonight after shocking videos surfaced showing officers patiently enduring verbal abuse from a group of men who were blowing off fireworks. As Aaron MacArthur reports, they say it's an example of how a lack of respect and the growing gang problem is making the job more dangerous than ever before. Ten cop cards just for us, eh? Tense moments, Halloween night. Burnaby Mounties responding to calls of illegal fireworks, coming face to face with 10 men spewing expletives. Get the out of here! It's not rare for our members to deal with this kind of uh, verbal abuse and aggression. The expectation we have, and and we're proud to be able to say that uh, what we generally get from the members is that they respond in a calm and professional manner. What are you doing? Get off my friend! Policing in the era of social media has made almost everything the cops do subject to public scrutiny. Record this, you fat. And while sometimes online video catches officers not upholding their duty, it can just as easily show the public acting inappropriate. They're just jealous that we're riding in a more expensive car than what you make in a year. The common theme is that people under the influence of alcohol or drugs, that then becomes the problem, and they. They become, their attitude uh, changes. They become a lot more courageous. Take a winkle, Take a winkle. There have been calls for police officers to wear body cameras. But in Canada, they have only seen sporadic use. And for now, it is the public that is carrying the power to document interaction with police. 
And we're okay with that. By recording it, they're demonstrating and collecting evidence that our members are doing a good job. The officers involved in last Thursday's incident varied in experience from rookies to more than a decade on the job. I really hope you're not teaching him because you suck at your job. No one was arrested. None of the men have been identified. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver police actions are under scrutiny in a coroner's inquest that started today. It involves a terrifying random attack on people in Vancouver's downtown east side back in 2015. It ended with police fatally shooting the 26-year-old attacker. Ted Chernecki reports on the evidence discussed today and reaction from those who knew the man who was killed. The drama that unfolded on the downtown east side two and a half years ago played out again at a coroner's inquest today. This time, the mother of the man police shot and killed was there to watch. You can hear at least five shots, and those are bullets, whereas just moments earlier, police had fired at least two rounds of non-lethal beanbags at him. You can see him apparently limp as he runs off to your left, where he attacks a woman before being fatally shot. Those who knew the young man couldn't believe it was him. He was academically very excellent. He was compassionate. He was caring. He was very sensitive towards, you know, anyone that's in a very vulnerable situation. And he had a lot of aspiration. Then 26-year-old Hersey goes to Vancouver, ends up with a group of fellow Somalian immigrants on the downtown east side, gets robbed. Witnesses say he became unstable, stabbing two other victims two days earlier. And now friends and family are asking, did he have to die? He may have a, a knife. But knife is not a, a gun. The police tended to protect, not to kill. So he always used to promise me that I will, uh, when he graduated, I will never be able to clean again. He would be the one who will t pick up the tab and uh, will give me opportunity to relax. Because it was a police shooting death, the Independent Investigations Office automatically gets involved. The inquest is to analyze police procedure to determine if best practices were used in de-escalating a dangerous situation. The hearing is slated for three days of testimony with four Vancouver police officers on the stand tomorrow and Wednesday. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, as we head towards Remembrance Day, Canada's campaign to have a student place a poppy on the headstone of every Canadian veteran is gaining steam. As part of the No Stone Left Alone campaign, more than 100 grade 3 to 5 students from New Westminster's Richard McBride Elementary turned out at Fraser Cemetery today. They placed more than 450 poppies on military headstones to honour fallen veterans. Helping them along were Royal Canadian Army Cadets, members of the Royal Westminster Regiment and the Royal Canadian Legion. Joseph I. Skidrulis. 1886 to 1948, lest we forget. Ivan C. Hambley, 1887 to 1954. William A. Stevenson, CEF, 1886, 1939. Election Eve in the U.S. The dramatic cliffhangers that could tip the balance of power later. And the viral video that shows a bear cub's epic struggle to keep up with mom. Why not everyone is smiling after watching it? Still to come.
Right now, though, a bear struggle of a different kind, with the B.C. community feeling threatened by a booming population of grizzlies. The problem came to light after video from Bella Coola showed a man shooting at a charging grizzly to save his own life. As Sarah McDonald reports, many residents there are living in fear. Well, international attention and debate is now focused on the grizzly bears dwelling here in the Bella Coola Valley. But the root cause behind an alarming and relatively recent shift in bear behavior and exactly who it puts most at risk all depends on who you ask. You're making some noises at me now. It's astonishing footage like this Get in. of grizzly bears coming within meters of houses and humans. Get in. Drawing international focus to this quiet, sprawling community on British Columbia's central coast. Oh, no. And this recent encounter especially is reigniting dialogue and fierce debate. That's property owner Lawrence Michael Chuck narrowly escaping a charging grizzly sow just steps from his house. Where is it? Both sides on the offensive defending their offspring. We opened up a can of worms here. Yeah. Because of the video, it went viral. There's been death threats to me and my family. What would have they done? Your kids out there, and you want to turn it to bear food? The bears have long been a fixture of life in the Bellacoola Valley, but even more so in recent years. The scarecrow is here because one of our dogs got mm-hmm. eaten just over by that big rock over there. It certainly oh, looks awful, him shooting it, but what else? Many who live here, like Harvey Thomason, have taken to arming themselves. So you just heard the gunshot go off? Yeah. That's probably someone shooting, shooting, trying to scare off a bear. Due to a significant increase in activity during daylight and in residential areas for these typically nocturnal omnivores. Well, I've seen at least 40 bears here in the last month. It's absolutely shocking. Yeah, absolutely shocking that they, they, they could be right here. It's hard to say for certain what's behind the trend, be it a decreasing natural food supply, an increasing number of attractants, or both. One thing that we're seeing a difference of this year is the human emotions really being brought into it. There's an international lens brought onto a small community where people are really just trying to live their day-to-day existence in harmony with animals. But the pressing question is how, and exactly who is antagonizing who, with animal advocates pointing the finger at human behavior as those living side by side with natural predators warn the outcome could be tragic. Somebody's going to get killed, and I sure hope it's not somebody I know. It is a delicate balance between protecting this region's people and its wildlife, and some concerned citizens have now taken matters into their own hands. Meet the locals who give a whole new meaning to working the graveyard shift tomorrow on the News Hour. Look forward to that. Now, a BC teen sledge hockey player with cerebral palsy says he was kicked off his town's home ice over the weekend. Shelby Tom has more on why Zayden Burke was booted from the public skate and why the Oliver Arena is now rethinking its policy. We sit in a sled. We don't have skates. 17-year-old Zayden Burke was born with cerebral palsy. (laughs) Unable to skate, he found his passion in sledge hockey, a popular Paralympic sport. On Saturday, he headed to the Oliver Arena to practice his skills. My friends wanted to go skating. I was like, yeah, I can come. I have a sled. But just five minutes into the public skate, Burke was approached by the attendant. He said, um, I'm sorry, but you'll have to get off the ice. This is uh, it's against policy. He found out that sleds aren't allowed on the ice surface due to public safety. He says he felt uh, saddened at the fact that it was 2018 and uh, we still have policies like this that uh, impede someone's ability to 
go skating. Burke went home and took to social media to share his experience. Having a kid go through that is is tough. Like I was like embarrassed in that moment. So as far as ice maintenance goes, like the post caught the attention of the Oliver Recreation Manager, who vows to review the decade-old policy. For me, it's more reviewing the entire policy to see what other wording maybe is not as inclusive as it should be. Um, but we will definitely be making sure that sledges are, are welcome on our ice surface moving forward. Oliver isn't the only Okanagan city with such a policy. The city of Kelowna says sleds and sledges are banned from public skates due to safety concerns. Zayden says all parks and recreation departments should review their policies to make this favorite pastime more accessible. Everyone has the right to to access a public arena, right? So to say that uh, a certain group of people aren't allowed to use it is kind of, kind of counterintuitive. Shelby Tom, Global News. A BC mother and her newly adopted son are caught in a bureaucratic nightmare more than 11,000 kilometers away. The pair has been stuck in Africa for months. Jamie Marocker explains why the family says the Canadian government is failing in its responsibility to help bring them home. Kim Moran is trying to make the best of a tough situation. <laughs> what? Alone in Ghana with her newly adopted son, Ayo, unable to bring him back to Canada. We thought that we'd be home weeks ago. And so did her husband, Clark, who, after almost two months there, had to return to Canada for work. I thought they were just a few days behind, and maybe that was foolishness or hopefulness on my part, but it's kind of what we've been led to believe. The Morans first flew from Abbotsford, B.C. to Nigeria on August 1st. Officially adopting their two-year-old son, the trio traveled to Accra, Ghana to hand in their immigration paperwork at the Canadian High Commission. And we also got it all authenticated by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But when Kim arrived at the High Commission, after some confusion, she says the embassy turned her away, sending over a guard to collect her documents at the gate. I ended up standing on the side of the road outside the Canadian High Commission for an hour and a half with a two-year-old in the heat, crying. It's been uh, just over three months now that, uh, that Kim's been over there. A world away in Port Hope, Ontario, Kim's family is concerned not only for the pair's well-being, but her health. She just needs to get home to see her specialists. Diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, Kim requires a special diet and medication. With no end in sight, Cindy Jeans has turned to Ottawa for answers. We're just heartbroken, just torn apart. Like, we just need her home. We need AO home. Global News reached out to the High Commission in Ghana and did not receive a response. Meanwhile, Canada's immigration minister only had this to say. We are familiar with the case, and as any other cases of family reunification, we, we make best efforts to reunite families comment Kim is counting on. If it costs us everything, we're going to give this kid um, love and consistency. Not willing to leave the country without her son by her side. <laughs> Jamie Marocker, Global News. The Rona hardware at Columbia Square in New Westminster is among the dozens of Canadian stores that will be shuttered by Lowe's by February 1st of next year. Lowe's says it wants to focus on its most profitable stores amid slumping sales and the popularity of rival Home Depot. It's unclear how many workers will face layoff, but the retailer says some employees may be able to transfer to other stores. 
On the eve of the U.S. midterm elections, voter enthusiasm is high in what could be either an endorsement or a rejection of Donald Trump's term as president. Barack Obama and the Democrats zeroing in on health care for their closing arguments, while Trump seems focused on fear in his final push on the campaign trail. Under fire for a controversial campaign commercial, the president shrugging it off saying he hadn't heard about the uproar over a version of a racially divisive video he first tweeted to his 55 million followers. Asked about it today. Well, a lot of things are offensive. Your questions are offensive a lot of times, so, you know. The ad tries to link a Mexican immigrant convicted of murder four years ago to the current caravan of Central American migrants. It initially aired on Sunday Night Football before NBC Universal, the parent company of this network, pulled it due to its, quote, insensitive nature. Critics argue it's all part of the president's fear-mongering, like how he stationed troops on the southern border just before Election Day, even with a group of migrants some 10 days away. It's not racism. It's just that people have to come into our country legally. Otherwise, you don't have a country. The president's message on immigration is not always accurate. The number of false or misleading things he's said recently has skyrocketed. An average of 30 claims a day, up from five last year, according to independent fact-checkers. Midterm elections used to be, like, boring, didn't they? Now it's, like, the hottest thing. Tomorrow's election, putting the president's agenda on the line. Hallie Jackson, NBC News, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Barack Obama today driving home the Democrats' closing message. Health care is on the ballot. You vote, you might save a life. It's Nancy Pelosi's final marching orders in a letter to House Democrats today, writing, health care is the key factor in voters' decisions. I've been now in 10 of the battleground states in the last two weeks. All anyone really is talking about is health care and the cost of health care. And women are completely fueling the enthusiasm. But Democrats have been burned before by predictions of an easy Clinton win. Their anxiety tonight perfectly captured by SNL. And they say don't trust the polls, but I'm choosing to. We're finally going to put this administration in check. It's been a minute, but we're going to win. Nancy Pelosi just said so on Colbert. The stakes are huge. If Democrats win the House, they gain control of committees and subpoena power, the ability to investigate President Trump. So they've recruited a new wave of candidates targeting Republican districts, at least 48 women and 19 veterans trying to turn red seats blue, like Navy veteran Mikey Sherrill. Many people are concerned about some of the actions of the president, but I think they're also really concerned about how they're going to pay for their education, what the future of the, the economy looks like. Crews are racing against the clock to find survivors after a building collapse in France. Sniffer dogs and rescue workers are frantically combing the debris for anyone who could be trapped after two multi-story buildings collapsed in the city of Marseille. One of the properties had been condemned and was believed to be empty. The structure next to it was occupied, but it's unclear if anyone was inside at the time. There are concerns a third building could also come down amid the ruins. Two people on the street escaped with minor injuries. In Health Matters tonight, Vancouver Coastal Health has issued a public safety advisory for Polonia Sausage House. Polonia has two stores in Vancouver, including one on East Hastings and two more in Surrey. Eight different sausage products have been recalled due to possible bacterial contamination, including E. coli and listeria. Health officials say these items were not processed according to food safety standards. Polonia, which says it serves nothing but the best, has stopped selling the products and no illnesses have been reported. Help remember the service and sacrifice of Canada's veterans. 
No stone left alone remembrance ceremonies across Canada honor this country's fallen by placing poppies on the headstones of those who have served in the armed forces. Watch No Stone Left Alone, Sunday, November 11th, on Global. Brought to you by the new $2 armistice coin from the Royal Canadian Mint. And then, stay tuned for live local Remembrance Day coverage on Global. Keep looking up and never give up what we can all learn from this baby bear coming up right after the forecast. Yes. The cuteness factor. Cute, cuteness factor, Yvonne is saying. Skyrocketing. No doubt. I feel like you have that too. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. All right. Uh, let's get to the forecast and then we'll get to that cute video in just a moment. I wanted to show you on the satellite and radar. I've put this up just into the afternoon. We did have a lightning strike that popped up near Port Coquitlam. Coquitlam and now still a bit of rain for the eastern sections into the Fraser Valley. And this is what we saw this afternoon. Take a look. So just between two and three, we did have a risk of a thunderstorm. It just rolled through. It was very isolated, but in Port Coquitlam, our camera guy, Mike, sent this in, and we can see the hail, quite large, and it was accumulating for a few spots. It dissipated quite quickly. It'll be much calmer, and we are looking at a very different weather picture for our Tuesday onwards. Here's the satellite and radar over the last hour, so still a bit of moisture in towards the eastern sections. For the morning hours, we do still have a chance of showers. Temperatures today bumping up to 13 out of the airport, 14 for Victoria, and interior sections with highs of 9 near Kamloops and very chilly for the northeastern corners of the province. We do have an ice break, and this is what we're anticipating over the next two, potentially three days. It'll be sunshine for us across the south coast and much drier conditions, especially in comparison to what we're seeing over the weekend. Interior sections through the day tomorrow, still seeing cloud cover, a chance of showers, higher elevations, a few flurries. The snow level will drop to around a thousand meters and then rise throughout the day at around 1300 meters along the coast tomorrow some nice breaks highs of 10 degrees a few flurries or a chance of showers for inland sections the piece the big weather story will be the temperatures the wind chill for the morning hours feeling like minus 27 and throughout the day at minus 20 still have a few flurries just for the early morning hours across the central interior to clear out the return for some sunshine and the southern interior we've got one more unsettled day for tomorrow with that cloud cover, some shower activity, much drier, and the sunshine makes a return for your Wednesday. Along the south coast, northern sections of the island, and then stretching in towards the Fraser Valley, we'll still see a chance of showers on and off throughout the day, but most areas across Metro Vancouver, it'll just be for the morning hours, a slight chance for some showers, and then much drier. Fantastic Wednesday. Thursday, we've got a change on the way, but it looks to be late in the day. Friday, a chance of showers, and unsettled for the beginning of our weekend on Saturday. Tonight's weather window, a fantastic shot of a sunset that was taken in Chilliwack from Philip. Guys? Heavenly. I feel like we're going to hear a big echoey voice. <laughs> That's right. Move on with the show. Yeah, that. <laughs> a baby bear's epic struggle on a snowy mountain in Russia is inspiring thousands of people. Drone video captures the mama bear and her cub trying and failing to reach the top. Many times over, in fact. Once the mother makes it, her cub can't get a grip on the slippery slope, but it keeps going, climbing the treacherous terrain, treacherous terrain over and over. It also, this is, I think, the farthest it slid down to the rocks. Uh, finally, though, the baby bear conquers the incline and then runs off with mom like, hey, it's no big deal. 
Yeah, Nothing a lot to see here. A lot of people are very critical too, right? Who say the Bears are trying to escape the drone that is shooting all of that video, and they would never have been in trouble if the drone wasn't there. So, cute video. Maybe some questions really, about how we. Really, the drone caused it to slide down the hill. Well, was well they were running across the slope, right? They never would have attempted to do that without being chased by it. But we wouldn't have had a laugh at their expense. That's true. <laughs> and no one got hurt. And no one end. got hurt. And no so, one got you know. hurt. No yeah. bears were hurt. Since sacrifice of Canada's veterans. No stone left alone remembrance ceremonies across Canada honor this country's fallen by placing poppies on the headstones of those who have served in the armed forces. Watch No Stone Left Alone, Sunday, November 11th, on Global. Brought to you by the new $2 armistice coin from the Royal Canadian Mint. And then, stay tuned for live local Remembrance Day coverage on Global. Look forward to uh, doing that broadcast on Sunday. All right, Squire is here now with a look at sports. Yeah. Sans scripts. <laughs> scripts. Totally overrated thing in it's actually all television. In That's right. It's all in there. I mean, I wrote them. And most people can't read them anyway. I can That's barely true. read my own scripts. Uh, when the Canucks start their road trip tomorrow in Detroit... They may have Chris Tanev back in the lineup. Mind you, they had been winning without him. Now, I'll say this again. Chris Tanev is a good player. But this is a guy the Canucks have to think about trading to a team that will give them a good young player in return. Because a lot of teams out there would like a stay-at-home defenseman like Tanev. And since he's injury-prone, you may need to make a deal before the deadline. He skated at practice today, might play tomorrow. Brock Besser did not skate in the full practice his groin once again causing problems. Now, this might just be to rest him for tomorrow. He didn't look very good on Friday, scoring twice, showing great speed. Clearly, at some point in this game, he re-aggravated his groin issues. Skated before practice, didn't skate on the weekend, so it's safe to say he's questionable for tomorrow night. And if he's suffering, you might as well leave him out. Don't wreck this kid for a game in early November. Elias Pettersson has been named the NHL second star of the week. That five-point game against Colorado was off the hook. Scored the tying goal in the final minute. Two goals, three assists. Youngest Canuck to do that. Nine goals in nine games. Tied for second in the NHL in average points per game right now. Well, there's Connor McDavid. He's taking on, oh, the Washington Capitals. The chance. One-nothing Caps. Oilers giving the puck away and paying for it. Devontae smith Pelly. Two-nothing for Washington. Connor McDavid would get one, though. Oscar Clefbaum, Connor, it's in. 2-1. That's a good-looking power play. So is this. And there are superstars at the end of it as well. Alex Ovechkin off the rebound. Look how fast that thing's gone. Just like Patterson, that tying goal. No sooner as it hit its stick, it's in the net. They win it 4-2, Washington over Edmonton. Depending on who you like to bet with, there are differing odds for Sunday's playoff game between the Lions and Hamilton. And the game will be in Hamilton, where the Lions lost 40-10 earlier this year. And the Lions have not looked good in their last two regular season games either. Some odds makers have Hamilton anywhere from a one-point to a three-point favorite. One has the Lions as a one-point favorite. Oh, the CFL says the beer celebration by Red Black's offensive lineman John got on Friday was okay, but they're now going to change the rules so it won't be okay any longer. Grabbed the beer from his girlfriend after a touchdown. The CFL says alcohol or drugs in the celebration sends the wrong message to everybody. 
Have they seen what happens after the Grey Cup when they spray champagne? Will that still be allowed? I think so. Uh, we talked just over a week ago about SFU's men's soccer team and how great a program it's been. Well, there's another great program in this town, and it's out at UBC. And this week, the Canadian University Men's Soccer Championships are being held at Point Grey. Eight teams are there. First games are Thursday. Championship game is Sunday at 2 o'clock. And it's appropriate that it's at UBC because... UBC has been a powerhouse in men's soccer for a long time. It's not a commitment to excellence. For UBC's men's soccer team, it's pretty much a guarantee. They have won the Canada West title 19 times, including this year, beating Trinity Western 2-0 in the final. And UBC's men have also won 13 national soccer titles, with the last one being in 2013. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the combination of the tradition, the winning tradition, and, and the school itself, I mean, it's a beautiful place to, to, to come to school. It's a great school. Uh, you know, all, all that added together has is, is made it for, made for, for quite a good tradition. Oh, yeah, we see it every day. We see it in the banners over here and in the exchange room. They've got all the numbers up on the wall. And uh, our group, we want to be another one of those years. In order to add a 14th national title, UBC will depend heavily on its high-powered offense that averaged well over two goals per game. Now, the majority of this roster is from British Columbia, but one of its stars, with a perfect first name of Victory, started life in the Congo, fleeing a civil war to get to Canada and then the UBC. Honestly, like, uh, it's even hard to just explain in words because uh, growing up in Africa, I never dreamt of even being playing for such like university like this. So it's just like it's amazing, and every day is basically like living a dream. Just gotta keep working hard and uh, just enjoy the moment. Despite a 13-1-2 regular season, UBC is only ranked third going into this tournament, but playing at home will be a huge advantage. you got family and friends out here, especially if you're from around here. I think that helps a lot. And it'll be like, oh, it'd be honestly amazing. We got, we're hosting, it's our school. I think if we win, it'll be, it'll be unreal. Celebration, showing appreciation. The Dallas Cowboys at home against Tennessee. Marcus Mariota's back to pass. The ball's on the carpet. Still on the carpet. Still on the carpet. Still on the carpet. Still on the carpet. Finally picked up by the Cowboys. Leads to Amari Cooper's first ever touchdown as a Cowboy from Dak Prescott. Mm. That's what they spent the first round draft pick for. First seems a bit high, but touchdown there, 7-0 Cowboys. But Mariota and the uh, Titans, who look very Toronto Argonauts in those uniforms, uh, get this go-ahead touchdown by Deion Lewis, but it's tied 14-14 at half. Burn, burn. You know, I was thinking about that, the guy with the beard. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't celebrating a touchdown. Maybe he was celebrating a Jake for Tannen goal. <laughs> Very possible. That's downing a, that's, well, I guess it was a That, that wasn't better. a shotgun, yeah. I'm disturbed by that beard. The beard? Oh, yeah, yeah and the it's, beard. It's, a beard. It's, there's some growth. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. Thanks, Squire. Coming up on ET Canada, we've heard it a million times, but really, will there be a Spice Girls reunion? Plus, it's our fantastic look at Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald with Jude Law and Eddie Redmayne. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour, but for now, it's back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. 
One of Victoria's new city councillors is a political rookie, but that's only because he's brand new to democracy, too. Charmarque Dubot was a child when his parents fled Somalia. He grew up in a refugee camp and continued to face civil unrest on a journey that eventually brought him to Canada. Kylie Stanton now on how Dubot is giving back to the city and country that he now calls home. I'm qualified to hold the office of councillor. It's hard to express what these words mean to Shamarke Dubot. I am Shamarke Dubot. This oath is bigger than politics. It's part of one man's pilgrimage, a lifetime spent searching for somewhere to call home. You never know where life takes you and who you would become. Dubot was only eight years old when his family left Somalia, fleeing civil war. In the middle of the night, he boarded a small boat destined for Kenya. I actually end up in a refugee camp called Utanga. It's where Dubot would spend the rest of his childhood until its closure sent him to Ethiopia. He was able to begin his education there, but civil unrest once again forced the family to move on, this time to Egypt. That's where his interest in human rights advocacy took hold. But when family members in Canada offered to sponsor him, he knew he had to keep moving. That is the story of Ruvigi's journey. You know, you never stop until you find safe haven. In Canada, Dubot eventually settled in Victoria and just recently became a citizen. I felt now I belong to a country, I have a home, I have rights and responsibility. I am Charmarke Dubo. And that meant running for office. In the first election he was ever eligible to vote in, he was elected. I couldn't help myself but cry. I actually got a little bit choked up uh, because it says so much uh, that you can start your life anywhere in the world. You can have any kind of experience. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And when you end up in Canada, there's a possibility of becoming an elected official, a leader in the city. So this is my seat. Now he's ready to begin a new journey. The minute you sit on it, it's not but you where he's found acceptance, a purpose. Seconded by Councillor Dubot. And a place to finally call home. We are now adjourned. Thank you so much. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Let's bring this one out again on Canada Day. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a, a, such, a, such a good story. So think about that. When you're wondering whether you should send your referendum ballot in yeah. or not and participate in the uh, voting process, Think of Shermarke. It's a great, uh, great message there. Last word on weather before we go. Uh, just a slight chance to see an isolated shower before the morning, and then we've got plenty of sunshine, a few days to dry out from all that rain, mm -hmm. and then it's a bit unsettled towards the end of the week. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. I like the looks of Thursday. Mm-hmm. All Th right. That's it for us. Have a good night, all. See ya.